0: Right, My name is Rich, and it is fantastic to be here with you. Uh, if we haven't met, I hope that we get to um, meet a little bit later. Um, today, we're looking at this book, this uh, book of James. It's a standalone talk, because after next week, we'll be moving into a different series. Um, but on this kind of first Sunday back of the new year, um, really, I wanted us just to kind of center ourselves for a moment. Um, This is the week where people make changes, this is the week where people reflect on their lives, on their jobs, on the habits they have, the things they want to pick up, the things they want to put down, and really I also think it's one of the only corporate moments of self-reflection that we have in our culture, I can't think of of too many others. And uh, it's also the week of, as Vicky mentioned, New Year's resolutions. if uh, I'm not here to pass any judgment on whether you have made a New Year's resolution or not. Um, apparently, 45% of people make New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you knew that. I am here to tell you, though, if you are one of those 45%, the outlook does not look very good for you. Of the 45% of people who make New Year's resolutions, how many people do you think keep their New Year's resolutions? Let me give you a clue. These hands are getting closer and closer together. 8%. 8% of people keep their news resolutions. Why is that the case? Listen, I don't think it's the case that people uh, don't desire to change. I think people actually do desire to change. But I think for people who desire to change, sometimes in their more honest moments, don't actually intend to change. There is a difference between desire an intention. Desiring something is to genuinely like the idea of something. I genuinely like the idea of lots of different things. They don't all get manifested in my life. Is that true for you? I think it's probably true for you. Listen, I've always played basketball since the age of 12. It was the first sport that I ever really kind of took up properly. And here's a picture of me uh, playing <laughs> basketball. No. Uh, it's not a picture of me, and it's not a picture of me because even though I am six foot four, and even though I play basketball, I've never learnt to dunk. That is what is happening right behind me, uh, exhibited by my friend LeBron James, the best basketball player arguably of our generation. Now, I think what you are witnessing behind you is the single coolest sporting movement or action that anyone can ever witness, right? in isolation. And you can you can argue that with me if you like, but anyone can kick a football, right? Not everybody can do what my friend behind there is doing. So even though uh, I've played basketball for many years, I've never learned to dunk. I thought one time, you know, it'd be nice to, to do that. I would like to uh, be able to do that. And uh, Beth also said to me, uh, just be, uh, when we'd been together, I'm not even sure how long, but girlfriends at the time, and she said, you know what, until you can dunk, we're not getting married. Until you can dunk, we're not, I was quite shocked. I thought, that is a shocking thing to say. And you know when someone's kind of saying something in jest, but They're also kind of being serious. You know, there's that, like, glint in their eye. They're like, yeah. So I thought, you know, this I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form a plan. Uh, so I was slightly incentivized by uh, what Beth had said. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to uh, look up some YouTube videos. I'm going to look at the best technique. I'm also going to uh, tell a few people because accountability is good when you want to do something. So I told a few people. Uh, I also looked at what muscle groups I needed to work, you know, how I needed explosive power and all of that. In my legs. I even, I even planned it into my schedule two days a week on the evening to go down to the local park, Burley Park, to the basketball hoops and learn to dunk. Some of you are thinking, man, this guy's really uh, serious about this. Other you are thinking, that's quite sad. Uh, but that is what I did. I went down to local arts practice. Spoiler alert, though. Me and Beth have been married six and a half years I still can't dunk, all right? I like to think I won out of that uh, whole arrangement. I can hang on the rim, that is about it, but I've been able to do that since I was 16, so that is nothing to shout about. What I'm saying to you is, even though I like the idea of it, it didn't happen, I didn't make it happen. Why can't I dunk? It's not because that famous film, White Men Can't Jump, it's not. Some of them can dunk, it's not because of that. Why can't I dunk? I wasn't willing to make the changes and to embrace what I needed to embrace to help make it happen, to the sacrifices. I, wasn't, I just wasn't willing to do it. Now, I know we're kind of joking about this a little bit. And when it comes to sport, when it comes to the hobbies that you may have, I think, yeah, it's not a big deal. You know, the fact that I can't dunk, I don't think adds much to my family's life, you know, or takes much away from it, or my surrounding world. It's not going to add much value. But when it comes to the things that God has given us to do, when it comes to the things he's given us to do individually and corporately as his church body, I think you'll agree the stakes are much higher. When it comes to sharing (laughs) Jesus with others, when it comes to caring for the poor, when it comes to looking out for the vulnerable, when it comes to seeking justice for the oppressed and comforting the lonely, having integrity at work that points people to God and not to us, the stakes are much, much higher, aren't they? It's not enough for those things to stay in the nice idea category. Maybe that would be a nice thing if it, if it happens. We have to find a way to move those things into action. Not just to stay as a nice idea and a desire, but actually to see them moved into action and actually happen in our lives and in our world. And this letter that James writes, it helps us with that a lot. See, James is a half-brother of Jesus, and he summarizes this whole idea of what I'm talking about here uh, with this phrase be doers and not just sorry be doers of the word and not just hearers don't merely listen to the word he says and so deceive yourselves do what it says for james being a doer of the word means channeling passion into actual action Channeling passion into actual, tangible action. For James, it's looking after orphans and widows. That was the present need in front of his church. He's really clear. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And I would put to you that that is in front of us as a church, in this generation as well. But there are other things as well, aren't there? What at a time when people... Look back and look forwards, think about making changes. What are the things that questions that we need to ask ourselves as a church? What are they at a time where people look forwards? I think one of the best questions that we can ask ourselves at this time is what is God asking me to do? What is God calling us to do as a church? What are the needs that God is asking us to meet in our city, in our country, in our world? What is it that when you think about it, you think, that's just not okay. I'm just not happy sitting by and just watching that be the status quo and the reality. Where you know that something in you is like, I have to be a part of the solution here. Is it when you look at just displaced people in our city, How many refugees, how many people just don't have a place to call home and aren't able even to go about finding out how to do it? Is it the overloaded care system? Do you look at that and go, that's just not okay. That's not okay and I want to do something about it. Is it that you look at the wider problem of our climate and you think, man, like the poorest people in the countries around the world are paying first for our actions. What what does that look like? That's not okay. Is it the growing gap between the rich and the poor and how it just gets starker and starker? Is it sharing Jesus with people around us who these days have no real idea who he is? Children who are being born today, it's not like children who were being born 20, 30 years ago, where it was in the culture a bit. You would find out a bit about who Jesus is and, and what he offers these days. It's just not the case. What is it for you? Those are the things that are at stake. This is the vision for every Christian is called to live out in some way, shape or form. It's about being Jesus' hands and his feet in all the different places that we find ourselves, in the communities, the neighborhoods, the hospitals, you name it, wherever you find yourself, it's being his hands and his feet. And we have to take it seriously. That is James' message to us. You have to take this seriously. You can't just get distracted. You can't just delay or bide your time can't afford to because those are the things that are at stake. And I think we all agree they're pretty important things, aren't they? They're things that we're not just okay with or I hope we're not okay with. But listen, just before I move on to talk about some ways of how we can do this, Um, I do believe that today for some people this call to be not just a hearer but a doer of the words is actually going to be a timely wake-up call for some. If I'm honest, or if you're honest with yourself at the moment, um, is your spiritual life in neutral? Like, are you just kind of coasting along? Has intentionality been lost? Yeah, as I was thinking about this, um, I I felt like there was a challenge here. And I immediately felt like I just wanted to soften it. I wanted to just kind of, you know, take the edge off it. and just. But as I prayed, I thought, no, James is really clear. And it's important that that we're really clear as well and that I'm really clear if I'm going to be faithful to what he's saying. When you think about the privileges that you have in this life, do you see them still just as gifts from God to be shared with others and used for the common good? Or if somewhere, somewhere along the way has things turned a little bit inwards on, it, on yourself? Has some of that been lost along the way? I want to say it gently, but I also want to say it firmly, because wake-up calls are never the most comfortable, are they? And that's important, because the reason for a wake-up call is so you don't sleep through something that's really important, because you don't want to miss it. So wake-up calls are never comfortable, but it is important. If we're not going to waste our time, waste the opportunities in front of us, and ultimately waste our lives... But I can also say that confidently because when I think about a hearer of the words and not a doer of the words, I think primarily of not anybody in here, but somebody here. I think of myself. I think of myself, and let me tell you why. Um, I was like this for many years until the most sobering day of my life. Um, I came to faith that around about 14 years old, but at 16 years old I was plunged into a very secular work environment. I was an apprentice, electrician, just fresh out of school, and I was on building sites, and it was really toughen up or kind of you pay the price. And that happened very quickly. I was often, at the beginning, like the butt of all the jokes. I was often the one being made to go and do things and asked to do things that, you know, it was clear people were just taking liberties. And I had to harden up, toughen up really quickly, and it put a bit of an edge on my character, to be honest. I was shaped in my early years of Christianity more by the culture on building sites than it was by the church and by Jesus. And it, and it showed my faith was young, it was fragile, and to be honest, it was often absent. I was a prime example of a hearer of the words and not a doer of the words. I'd heard many talks, you know, I had sang many, many songs, but the word hadn't taken root in my life, and it certainly wasn't leading to change in my life, to real change. But on the 23rd of December, 2007, that all changed I was on the way back from a job. It was two days before Christmas. My mind was on Christmas. I was going out that evening. Everything was good. And as we were driving, it was a really, really foggy day. You couldn't see 10 meters in front of you. That was how foggy it was. And as I was driving, I heard the loudest bang. Have you ever heard a noise where you just know, that's not okay? That is not okay. And as we heard this bang, we screeched up to behind two cars that had just had a head-on collision. One was in a wood and the other one was in a field. They'd hit each other at 40 miles an hour each, meaning it was an 80 miles an hour head-on collision. One lady who was traveling towards us passed out at the wheel, it turned out, we found out later, and just veered straight towards a lady traveling with mother and three kids two days before Christmas. And in that moment... We got out of the car, we went over, and we did what we could. called the emergency services, we tried to comfort them in the moments that we were with them, um, but we couldn't really do much more. And I'll tell you, what I saw that day, I won't tell you about it, but it's etched onto my memory. It's, it's not going anywhere. And um, moments like that, if you've ever experienced anything like that, it shakes you in a way, that wakes you up to the things that are really, really important. I went home that day a different person. I went home that day a different person because up until that point, I had thought, you know what, at some point, I'm going to make a decision about who Jesus is, whether I'm really going to live for him or not. At some point, I'm going to kind of take this seriously. At some point, I'm going to resolve to live for him. Nah, but not this week not even next month, I'm going to kick that decision down the road. And I did. I kept kicking it down the road, kicking the decision down the road. I thought, I'll get to it later. That I'll get to it later. And I just witnessed in that moment that not everybody gets a later. That not everybody gets a later. And you have to decide who you think Jesus really is and is what he's done important and is it going to have an impact on your life? And the question that I was faced with was, was this. If I've got one life, what am I going to do with it? If I've got one life and I don't know when my time is up, what am I going to do with it? I knew that time is short. I knew God had made his commitment clear to me and it was time to make my commitment clear to him in response. It was a wake-up call. But what's interesting about that is that um, even though I, I still get a little bit emotional telling it, I can tell you that in a slightly romantic way of, let me tell you about the day that God really kind of grabbed hold of my life and, and things really got turned around and, and let me tell you about it. And the reality is, yes, God cares about those moments. And if you have moments like that, yes, God really cares about it. But do you know what he cares about most about today? He cares most about today. Today's the day he cares most about. He cares most about today, not that we were radical and resolved to live for him in 2007 or 97 or however, you know, whatever the time was. He cares most about today. Are we going to be hearers and doers of the word today? And this is where James' letter really helps us. He cares a lot about walking the talk about the church being a place of faith, but also of substance and action, where good works accompany good words. Now, to be clear, a person's road into Christianity isn't about good works. And what I mean is this. There's not a tick list or a good book that you have to kind of earn your way into let me really really clear about that when we come to Jesus we don't come with our lives together saying look how good it is will you accept me we come with our hands open in brokenness saying we need you we utterly utterly need you I don't bring anything to the table we need you that is how we come to him but once we have come to him and once he has we've had an experience of his goodness and his grace and he's changed our life and he starts to reorder our priorities and our whole life starts to look different then actually the road through christianity actually is marked by good works that it should be that's what james tells us that's a theme of his of his whole book really for james for the author It's impossible to genuinely experience the goodness of God and for it not to rub off on you in a way that the world will see. He thinks it's impossible to genuinely experience the goodness of God and for it not to rub off on us for the world to see. And talk about somebody who got to experience the goodness of God. We're talking about James here, who's Jesus' half-brother. He lived under the same roof. As the Son of God, I mean, that must have been pretty cool. I also think, I don't know about you, but I also think from time to time it must have been pretty difficult as well. You think, you've, have you ever had a sibling who's like, you know, just kind of gets it right all the time? A little bit frustrating. Imagine what it was like for James. You imagine Mary shouting up the stairs, like, oh, up the stairs, or I know oh, not are stairs, but, you know, James, look at Jesus' room, it's immaculate, what are you doing? Well, he is the son of God, mom. Like, it gives him a little edge. You know, you can just imagine the tension in that relationship. I think that's kind of humorous just to think about. But I also think it must have helped him quite a lot. Um, Because we know that the people we are closest to, they have a great influence on us, don't they? The people we spend most of our time with. And James got to spend a lot of time with Jesus. He got to see his life up close and personal. Somebody who walked the talk like nobody else who's ever lived. And he's clear. He's clear with this young church and he's clear with us in this letter. Listening, hearing, even meditating on God's truth, his word. It's brilliant. But it's not the end in and of itself. That it's all meant to lead somewhere. Unless it leads us to live differently in the world. And unless it... You know, unless we actually enact these, wor- these words and see them come to fruition in the world in the ways that Jesus did when he walked, when he lived, talked, and walked it out, unless we do that, ultimately it's empty religion. That's what he says. And it's not just empty words, but it also leads people looking at Christians thinking, Ah, you believe that, but you you seem just to make decisions like everybody else makes decisions, and it doesn't really seem to have an impact, and the message must not be up to much. That is the impact when we say one thing and just live out a totally different message. But he also says this. When we do that, the saddest part about it is we're actually deceiving ourselves, you catch that? We're actually deceiving ourselves. I wonder how many church services that are going have gone on, going on, even today, where people are standing and singing, "Jesus, it's all about you." You know, lead us to the broken. I want to stand beside the broken. We must go. We must go. And you just go home and just do what everybody else does on your street. Get preoccupied just with everything else that everybody else does. James is saying, man, when we when we do that, when we hear, when we talk, when we sing, when we gather, but the passion, instead of being channeled into action, it just fizzles out, fizzles out on the drive home. When it gets crowded in by other things, competing things, it's like we're deceiving ourselves. It's almost like because we've heard it, sang it, thought about it, maybe even felt a bit convicted, like the, the work's done, like that. that's it. And he's clear, it's not, it's all meant to lead somewhere. I'd even go as far as to say this, that I think Satan, our greatest enemy of the church, I think he's probably pretty happy with a lot of church services. I think he's pretty happy with a lot of church services if all that happens is the passion is just, it just stays as that. It's not channeled into action. And I'll tell you why. It might sound like a funny thing to say. I'll tell you why. He's the great deceiver. He is the greatest deceiver. And we're busy. The church, when it just lets all the passion just get fizzled out to nothing, it doesn't lead anywhere. James says, it's like we're deceiving ourselves. So he's saying, it's like you're doing Satan's job for him. He thinks, oh, I don't need to worry about that. I'll go and be a problem to some other people who are really trying to live it out because these guys talk about it, sing about it, but that's, that's, that's about it. And I think that is in front of the worldwide church. That's what I'm talking about. And I think that's in front, And we have, to, we have to look at that, we have to think about that, and we have to take that seriously. We have to hear his words on this. He next gives a very vivid picture, a very vivid picture of what it looks like to be convinced in a moment that something's true, and then immediately to forget and ignore it. And it's pictures this. He says, anyone who looks, sorry, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Why does he use this image? What do you think? Why does he use this image? I think it's to show us just how crazy it is to live that way. Like, how many of you, uh, when you got dressed this morning, looked in a mirror? You're looking reasonably well dressed, actually, as I look out. So I imagine quite a few of you did. You know, it's part of your morning, right? Whether you're brushing your teeth or whatever you're doing, just imagine for a moment, like looking square in the mirror and then turning away and thinking, "Oh, what have I got on? What do I look like? I've totally forgot. I can't. I can't, don't even have it in my mind. It's almost impossible, isn't it, to think that way? And he and he's saying this because he's saying, like. That is crazy. How tragic is it to nod our heads in one moment, think, yes, that is really important, to even feel physically moved by it, and then ultimately to let it come to nothing. He says it's tragic. It's crazy. When we know what we ought to do, but we just don't do it. He says it's like forgetting who you are. That's what he's saying. It's like forgetting who you are. And today, there is a call to remember who you are. To remember who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you've been appointed by God to be his image bearer in the world. That's what happens. When you came to Jesus, you got a new identity in him. And your life has started a moment, a journey of transformation. So you've become more like Jesus. So the places where you find yourselves, as people look at you, they get to see something of what God's like. Something of a, someone who's been transformed into the image of Christ how do we show the world what God's like? We love people in a way, in the way that God has loved us. You know, if Jesus is the head of the church, if you've come across that idea, Jesus is the head of the church and we're his body. Just think about that for a moment. Let's not be a reluctant body. Let's not be a body that he has to like drag around you know I have this image in my mind of stretch Armstrong have you ever ever have that as a toy just a little stretch Armstrong if you didn't just imagine a little figurine that you can stretch and as I think about it, I think it's like stretching this thing out and the head being over here and the body just taking ages to catch up let's not be that as a church when Jesus says, here's what I'm passionate about, this is, what I'm, this is what's important, these are the priorities I've given you, and he does countless times in his word, like, let's be about those things, right? Let's not be like, oh, maybe, oh, oh if you say so, oh, like, I'll get to that later, oh, maybe that's important. Like, let's be about the things that he's about. Let's cooperate with him. There is a danger, though, and the danger is this, that as I give this to you, Uh, you could just hear, just do more. Just do more. Just do more. And that's not what I'm saying. And that's also, I don't think, is what James is saying. Because many of you are living with an intention that matches desire, action that matches desire. You're choosing to pour yourselves out for the sake of others, and you're an example to lots of us. And we want to cheer you on, we want to celebrate that. But for every person, though, who is living that way, I do think there's others of us who just need a bit of a gentle wake-up call. They just need to hear and be reminded what's really important. Where is my faith finding its outlet so that people can see it in my life? And what are the needs that I am helping to meet? What are the things that God has given me to do? for some of us we just need to be honest if we've fallen out of some good habits and just embraced some bad ones for too long if we've just taken our foot off the gas if we've just started to play things a little bit safe it's time just to be honest to reshape some priorities so how do we do it how do we do it if you're feeling like okay i hear that how do we do it how do we turn desire a desire to Be about these things. How do we turn it into action? How do we channel passion into action? How do we let God's love for us that we know so deeply lead us to loving others more consistently, more frequently, and more deeply? I want to give you three motivations just as I close briefly. And the three motivations are this: the love, the pleasure, and the reward of God. The love of God. James says, I think it's in verse 22, it'll be up on the screen. He says this: But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What's this perfect law that gives freedom? What is it? What's this perfect law that gives freedom? I think it's the gospel. It's the gospel understanding the depth of God's love for you, that there was no lengths that he wouldn't go to to win you back into relationship with himself. And it's not based on your merit. It's not based on your actions. It's not based on what you deserve. He's doing it out of his loving kindness. That's the gospel. Let's be really clear on that, that when you came to him, it wasn't about what you have done for him. It's about what he has done for you. And we come with empty, open hands to accept that. But does God's love alone fuel obedience in our life? Does it alone fuel obedience? His love for you is unchanging. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you any more, any less. That is so freeing. It's such a secure place to be. But I don't think it's the only motivating factor. I think there is another potent fuel that will help us live a life of action another key to obedience and i think it's this understanding the pleasure of god and how we little old us can add to it you know that that's pretty amazing isn't it how we can add to it cuz see unlike god's love for us which is unchanging his pleasure in us is actually changing so to be clear you're no less loved in obedience or in disobedience his love for us is unchanging, but his pleasure can change. And if you're a parent in the room, or you just think back to your child and your experience of it maybe, you think, man, does, does my love for my children change, whether they're you know, being disobedient or being obedient? Like The answer is, is no, right? It, it, do, it doesn't fluctuate in those moments. In fact, as a parent, I'm starting to learn this, that I even feel more of a father not less of a father, when Robin's like kind of being a bit of a pain and she's now approaching these toddler years where she's actually learning about how she can actually be a pain. I feel more of a father, not less of a father. That's the truth. However, are there times, if you think about it, are there times where you're more pleased or less pleased with your children? Yeah, there totally are and if you think about your experience i'm sure that was your experience you were aware when your parents were less than pleased with some of your actions that's an understatement that's that's like that's a given let me give you a few examples when i choose to forgive someone for jesus's sake because of what he's done for me when i fight to forgive someone i feel god feels much pleasure in me when i choose to harbor a grudge and to not let it go i feel like god feels probably less pleasure in me. When I boast in God and in him alone, I think God feels much pleasure. When I boast in myself, when I make things about me, when I think that I'm the source of all the good in my life, I think he feels less pleasure. When I fight against lust for Jesus' sake because of the love he's got for me, when I fight against it and I say, I'm not going to give in to it, I'm going to make it my fight, I believe he feels much pleasure in me. But when I entertain lustful thoughts and I just choose and I'm just okay with it, I think he feels less pleasure in me. Let me give you a real example of some people in our church who um, just before Christmas felt like, actually, as I'm heading into Christmas, I want to do something. I want to give something away to others who might have a very different experience of Christmas. So every day during Advent, instead of having their own Advent chocolate or whatever the things that they would do, they instead thought, I'm going to reverse it and I'm going to put a gift into a parcel that I'm going to be able to give to a food bank, to somebody, to some individuals who might not receive anything else this Christmas. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to put it in every day and I'm going to make sure that I follow through on it. Man, no one asked them to do that. I believe that brings God much pleasure. No one said, oh, could you? They felt like this is something that God wants me to do. I'm going to do it. I believe that brings God much pleasure. What about if they just thought, oh, I, know, I feel prompted by God to do this, and I know it's a good thing, but oh, it's just, it's just a bit of hassle, or I do quite like my chocolate there every day, or why don't I just have it myself? Or, You know, I think God would feel less pleasure in that moment. And listen, there's two ways that we can think about this. Half of you are probably thinking, gosh, that's amazing, like, I get to add to the pleasure of the almighty creator God. And others of you could be sat there thinking, oh, that feels like a bit of a burden. Oh, oh, that feels like a bit of a burden. Let me tell you, I think this is really good news, not bad news. How empowering is it to know that securing God's love, that's not changing, you're not earning that, that's not changing. securing his love, knowing that, that will never change. We have the opportunity to bring our Father in heaven, the creator of the whole universe, the one who needs nothing, much, much pleasure and delight. Doesn't that sound crazy? Like little old us can bring pleasure to the heart of God. Listen, if you're the type of person who is maybe prone to Feeling a little bit insignificant from time to time, or feeling like a bit of have a bit of an inferiority complex. Think, oh, maybe my actions don't matter all that much in the scheme of the world. Look how many people are in this world. Oh, does what I do really matter? Let me tell you, what you live really does matter. Not just for the people around you, but to our God in heaven, all-powerful, Almighty God. Bring much delight to Him when we follow through on the things He's given us to do. So empowering. And finally, and interestingly, that dynamic of the pleasure of God actually, we see, gets flipped around. It gets flipped around because there is a great reward in this passage. The wonderful dynamic in this relationship that we have with God is that when we choose obedience, when we live in a way that shows the love that God has poured out to us, to others, when we make it our priority to live our lives in this way, in a way that pleases him and brings him much, much pleasure, we also get to experience something of the Father's joy and his love in our lives. That is the crazy dynamic in this relationship. That when we live in a way letting passion fuel action, when we see that all we have is a gift and a means of caring for those less fortunate for ourselves... James says, you will be blessed in what you do. We will be blessed in what we do. What's the greatest blessing any of us could receive? I could open that up for possibilities. I won't for time. But what is the greatest blessing any of us could receive? I think it is to know the blessing of God on the things that we do, on the stuff that we put our hands to, on the things that we give our energy to, to know that God smiles upon us in those moments. So just it changes the way we see, the way we serve him. You know, this isn't a call to do everything, because no one can do everything, and we all have limits. But this is a call, just to be honest about the needs around us, just to be honest about the opportunities that we do have, and not let them just slip away. Uh, John Wesley, who was a 17th century preacher, when contemplating the gap between the rich and the poor, those in front of him who seem to have and those in front of him who seem to have not, when he thought about the Christian's responsibility in the face of those things, this is what he said. Do all the good that you can by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. And if you look, he really means it, doesn't he? He's not messing about. He looks pretty serious. (laughs) Listen, for lots of us, these motivations are really helpful, but they're also just not quite enough. We also need a plan, and we need some accountability because we do this together, right? If we're going to be more intentional, we need to help each other in this. That's why that we're all in here together. We're not scattered through this building alone because God brought us into our family. He's put us in a family to do this stuff together. So listen, just as we close um, and before we spend just a few moments worshipping, I want us to have a time of honest reflection. I'm going to put up, I'm going to read them out in a moment. I'm going to put up some questions on the screen. And I think, just for the moment, read them and maybe pick one just to reflect on now. i take a picture of it, maybe talk to the person in your discipleship triplet. These are these smaller groups that we have in the church where we want to spur one another on, ask each other helpful questions, keep each other accountable. Maybe to take a picture, maybe discuss them in your mission group, maybe if you'd like. But let's have a moment of reflection now. I don't want to do a talk about actually be letting our passion be fueled into action and then just sing some songs. And I'm like, how is this actually going to, like, what are we going to do? And these, pre- these questions I'm about to read out, they're actually really practical and it, it's, it's not about guilt. It's not about that at all. There's no place for guilt in this room, but it is about getting honest about the opportunities in front of us and going, okay, what, what can I do if I actually, if I follow through on it? With help from others, what can I do? Here are the questions. Just have a little moment to reflect. Did I make the most of Did I make the most of what God gave me last year? And if not, why not? Just be honest with yourself. How can I use my time, my energy, my resources to serve those around me this year? What do I need to put in place to help make this happen? And who will support me as I make these changes? Let's just have a moment of reflection. Let's pick one, have a bit of a think, and then Vicky will pull us back together and we'll spend a bit of time worshipping.